Okay, that's kind of what I was. Okay, yeah. so I I'm gonna. Well, I I need to move off to the side. Sorry, because again, I do a really like crappy version of what you. I know you know how to do it. So Does it look of... like we're lined up? Are you? Am I? Should I? I need to import you over. Where are you? Where'd you? Oh, I have to. I I screen record, so I need to position it properly. I just need a minute. Pardon me. So that's why I was like, maybe we could start a few minutes early because oh, I'm slow. What? Oh crap. What? What's the matter? Are you busy? Do you have to? Do we have to restart? Do we have to reschedule? No. What? Sorry. What's happening? Can you? Crap. Yeah, I can hear you. Crap. What's the crap? Like, what's the? What's the skinny? Hold on a second. Okay. <laughs> I'm just setting up anyway. So, like I said, I promised I would be faster than the last time. I'm really sorry. Hold on. Uh, everything got screwed up. Um, I was That's... just trying to. Uh, they're talking about James Lindsay on Clubhouse. Uh, oh, do you do? Oh, oh, you're torn. Do you want to go? No, no, it's fine. Um, it's just funny uh, because uh, people like talking about him. Yeah, I I interviewed him a while ago about. Like, I tried to defend him, but everyone thought it was because I was being antagonistic against him. But I actually just know all of the things that people bring up against him and was trying to give him a chance to address those things. Mm -hmm. And he saw that. But so many people were, like, mad at me. <laughs> and I'm like, you fools! I'm trying to help him! Whatever, I'm going to... I'm just gonna simmer down. Anyways, um, yeah, you you freak you've you've been frequenting some places. I'm gonna ask you about actually, but I'm just wait. Get bigger, Jeepers. Oh, there, there we go. Am I? Oh no. Am, are we set up good? For Almost. Um, yeah. Would you? Yeah. Hold on. Hold on. Whoa. Can you talk for a second? This is Benjamin Boyce, and oh, yeah, welcome to Conversations with Andrea of the Bangs, who changes I'm her so... name every six months, so I don't know exactly what she's calling herself now. I think I have um, the 1940s bangs, is what I... Great. I'm not recording. Okay, hold on. Okay, I started, because this is what happened last time. I took forever to actually start recording, Yeah. and you were like, oh, come on, girl. Wait, you're not, Can... you, you're not already set up and ready to just record? I am. I am. I just pressed record. I just literally pressed record just now. Oh, but I need to X this. Uh, okay. Oh no, you're too. I need to get you in the right. Oh, whatever. I'm still setting up. I just, I just am recording whilst doing it. Um. Oh no. I'll just cut. I'll just cut some things out. Um. Anywho, what are you drinking? Uh, San Pellegrino. Nice. Some sort of okay. orange. Some sort of orange, okay. Aran, Arancieta, Arancieta. Okay, so how are how are you? Will you sit for Blood a second? Orange. Is this will where you, you how want are me? You sitting? Yeah, are you gonna lean back at all, or are you just? Is this? Oh, like my mic's right here, so I every once in a while I'll go back like that, but I'll, That's fine. I'll keep in line, so it's either closer or further. I just want to have our heads be like close to the same size, so I'm just. You can do that in post. Benjamin, I don't know how to do anything in post except I for cut. videos, yeah. 
You, you just do you, you duplicate you I mean, crop the one on top and then you manipulate the one on top. Oh, okay, but I don't I know how to add a picture and to move the picture around. You did show me how to do that, yeah. but I don't know how to to do that with a video. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's pretty but simple. Like, you yeah, just duplicate the video and then you crop the one on top. And then you can manipulate the one on top and the one on bottom independently of one another. So you have one recording, but you have two different and you just have to mute the top one. Okay. It's pretty simple. Okay, well, mm, I'm glad it's simple for you. Okay, so, Benjamin, a voice, aka, hold on, there, okay. Ben Kenobi, also known as Benjamin a voice to everyone else. How are you doing? I'm How good. Are How are you? You're well. I'm well. I'm I'm like going through a phase. A phase or a face? Well, I suppose it could be argued both because it has to do with this. Oh, is this how <laughs> you manifest your intentionality? Is through your it's uh, it's visage. how I manifest my femininity. Okay. I suppose. So that you have the... one of those. Yeah, so you have we a, a femininity. I do very much. Okay, so here's the thing that's I've decided. I last year I ended up talking to you in March. And I don't remember when we spoke the year before, but I've just decided we do a March update every every year. Okay. I just decided that. That's that's right. I just that that's happening. So um so yeah, it, it's 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 this is the March update. Here we are, March Madness. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, good, good call. So, um, yeah, so so that's what this is, is our update, because I haven't chatted, chatted with you in a bit. The last time I spoke with you was around Christmas time. That was nice, and I just decided I would want to record it today just because I'm like, you know what? I bet that we'll talk about some good things that'll be good to catch, to catch. So a while back, you put out a video, and it's funny because I was looking it up to kind of refresh myself on what it was about exactly and, and what you spoke about exactly. And I wrote in the uh, YouTube, um, in the search, I was like, Benjamin, Boyce, God, and then like, oh, no, there's nothing. No, nothing came up. Well, I mean, unrelated videos. But then, like, oh no, 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 he didn't use that word. What I believe, and then oh, that's yeah. what, that's remember. what came up. Yeah. So that's the yeah, one. Oh yeah, no, I I very much remember that video, and I was excited to see more, and I haven't seen any more on that no. topic from you. Every once in a while, I broach it in a live stream, but I'm very uh, sensitive to uh, the ways in which people uh, react to conversations of God in. Uh, the you know, audience that I have. And uh, I don't have an audience like Paul Vanderclay, who has cultivated specifically a Christian uh, audience. And also Jonathan Peugeot have cultivated, has cultivated a Christian audience. I have not cultivated a religious audience. So I have a mixture of believers and non-believers. And, uh, you know, when you bring up God, everybody has a lot of opinions uh, and it's very rare to they have do? people really? express their experiences. 
rather than their opinions. And God, to me, is a uh, principally an existential uh, reality and not a mental or abstract uh, reality, though there are abstract properties of the conception of God that help me navigate my worldview, but in essence, it's not a concept. Mm-hmm. So I actually remember you even said, like, you didn't, you almost cringed at using the word God in the video that you made about it. Yeah, it took me like 20 minutes to get around to saying yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So, is it? I'm going to get around to the narrative part of it. Um, but with regards to, like, you, you just explained about why your audience sort of is, you're beholden to your audience in the way that you know that there will be a certain reaction. But if it wasn't for that, would you have taken 20 minutes if you were just doing a recording that you weren't going to put out, but you just wanted to get out in your own, like just for your own sort of cathartic, like getting the concept out for in into the world of, of just being spoken out, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I, my speech doesn't exist independent of an audience at this point with regards to YouTube. Now, if I were to write that out, I uh, would probably start with the concept first and then order everything around that and then, you know, start with the proposition and then fill in, like, the meaning and the experience stuff. But because the domain in which I operate and am made real to other people is through speech, uh, spoken speech, public speech, uh, I need to be aware of moving everybody toward my point. So starting general and then working to that concept. And especially with the concept of uh, God, it's really important to, to create a context, the proper context in which to speak about that thing. And that takes a certain sort of uh, maneuvering uh, to establish an atmosphere or a space or a context for that conversation, that vulnerability, the very naked part of me uh, bringing it out into the open. You don't just lead. I, I don't lead with that. You could lead with that. Somebody could lead with that. Start like, look at how vulnerable I am and then go from there. Um, but that's not necessarily my style. I think other people could probably pull that off. Start with the vulnerability. And then, like, like if somebody says, uh, you know, some YouTuber, uh, let's say some public influencer or intellectual, if we can make like there's this line and one over here is just the vapid Instagram influencer and over here is like the deep dark web intellectual somewhere it, we all exist somewhere between those two things between uh, pretty and insubstantial to substantial but not necessarily good to look at um or cares uh, about that mm-hmm. but um you know if if somebody uh, of over in the more catch the attention side of things like is more concerned with catching attention rather than uh, manipulating attention down the line they would lead with, I am really depressed right now, or I've been in a depression right now. And that would be their hook. That would be the first mm. thing. I guess in a spiritual con, uh, context, like, I have had a vision. <laughs> like, wait, what are you talking about? Like, that sounds really freaking kooky, right? Like, I have had a revelation. I have been infused with the spirit. I saw, I, I, I had an uh, experience that lifted me out of my body and I saw something that was really real. And if you start mm-hmm. with that, that's going to completely 
knock everybody out of the park and maybe somebody right. will listen to you or maybe they'll give you a chance for you to like kind of come down to earth from there, you know, which I, I guess I was making an analogy between that and like starting with depression or an emotional state. Mm-hmm. I'm very angry right now. That, that's a very worldly emotion. So that's mm-hmm. something that people can, uh, you know, get synced up with. But still, even if I was depressed or wanted to talk about my own experiences of depression, I would not stop, start with depression. I would lead us through and halfway through, I'd start talking about that thing, because I'd establish the space for that, and then I'd explore on the deeper end. I think mm-hmm. that that's just kind of my style. Okay, okay. So, yeah, that, that makes sense that there are different styles and people go in different ways to cultivate a certain idea. So you want to be very careful. Like, you specifically are wanting to be... Yeah. Wow, we totally dove in. I just realized this in the last couple conversations we've had. We had a little bit of like chat, a little bit of banter, but like today was like, oh, we're going, we're going right in. We're just, we're going right in. Okay. So you brought up, you brought up the idea of attention and you, you want to be careful in how you bring up this subject because it is so close to you. And you, you said in your video it is a long-term goal of yours to discuss such things. Um, so I'm going back to the the idea. You want the right attention towards yeah this this thing. So actually, uh, the discussion that Jonathan Peugeot had with Jordan Peterson recently. Peugeot, have you? Did you see that? I I watched all the Brett ones. Or both Brett ones, but I did not okay. get around to the Peugeot one yet. Okay, well, you'll still, it'll still make sense. So he is speaking with Peterson, and Peterson is so, like, basically, like, help me, Jonathan, help my unbelief. I believe help me, my unbelief is kind of where Peterson mm. is, is at. And Peugeot, in explaining something, he says worship. And Peterson is kind of like, you know, kind of like whatever. And and then and then Peugeot's very um, okay. We'll say attention rather than worship. We'll say attention. And then he uses the word attention from mm-hmm. the, then on for the rest of the discussion. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. I've talked with you about attention before. That's something that I yeah within the context of you, narrative and story. Yes, yeah. yes, and 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 so. I'm wondering about your thoughts about the concept of attention being a sort of distill worship being distilled out of that. Okay. Well, worship, you're bringing up worship and that is specifically within the context of a religious um, communion of Mm -hmm. the uh, people with the transcendent, right? Okay. So within, we'll just use Christian terms. We can translate into and out of them. But since mm-hmm. you're a Christian, maybe your audience is a Christian, we'll just use those terms. We could okay. easily go through, play all the word games and take up a bunch more time playing translation, but we can translate. But within the Christian uh, domain of worship, uh, and I am, I grew up Christian, my dad's a pastor, but I'm not a theologian. Uh, so this is just my experience, my 18 years being a Christian, living in that realm and then uh, going forth from that realm. So uh, I, I'm sure that there's other concepts of what worship is. But from my point of view, worship is the 
it's, I was just thinking about this the other day, um, about lifting up your hand, uh, you know, and, and uh, in Christian worship and in certain evangelical contexts, people will lift up their hands and they'll pray. And then, mm-hmm. and then there's, there's other levels to that where they're speaking in tongues or they're swaying. But if you look at the, if you take that, that image and it, it's a very vulnerable position, it's actually really embarrassing to see and to look at and to do in public unless that's accepted within that community that you can, you can be that open. And if you just look at how, I, I am at this point, I'm completely vulnerable to any attack, mm. any sort of uh, horizontal interaction. It's gone. I'm lifting myself out of that and I am becoming like a flashing cursor on a Word document, right? I'm, I'm becoming yeah. open to something that can give me input. And okay. if, you, if you enter into that state and you practice it and if you really, really, if you really pay attention to what's happening – for me, my, my, my palms, like there's circles on my palms that open up and I start becoming like an antenna. I can really feel, I don't like this word energy, but I can feel this energy happening. It's a very light, subtle vibration. I can feel that. And I can feel it on my face. I can, I can mm-hmm. feel like I'm, like there's a light above me and it's coming down on me. And, and that that opening happens and then and then i start feeling things come up from around here in me like in my emotions mm-hmm. start to like break free and there's like some cruddy emotions for me like like you know mm-hmm. all the things that i did that week or however long it's been since i worshiped like those things start to break free and i kind of have to like i i allow them to go but i pay attention to that i pay attention to that feeling and i feel them kind of drifting off of me kind of like floating off like kind of debris and dirt and there, there are different levels to this in, in my mm-hmm. experience of worship. But at a certain point, I become clean enough where my brain starts working again. <laughs> and th- this is the problem with worship because the brain gets in the way of, of paying wait, attention. Wait, wait. What? What? Can you explain that? Ask a, phrase that as a question. Can you go into the idea of your brain getting in the way of your attention. Thank yeah. you, uh, sensei. Yeah. No, no, thank you. Thank you. I just wanted to specify. So I, mm-hmm. and we're following the rails together. Um, the mind is where I spend most of my attention. I spend most of my attention on my day-to-day life through my thoughts. And that is uh, either why or because I am a writer uh, or because I I write so much, I spent more and more attention to my thoughts. My thoughts are not independent, thank you, of my – they're not independent of my emotions. A lot of my thoughts are dealing with my emotions or like the the, uh, the energies, the, the, the hydraulics of my life. Like if I'm sad or happy or if somebody says something mean to me, you know, my thoughts will go to that or like I interact with something on Twitter. Like so, so my, my mind is always playing around with language basically and constructing things. And it's mm-hmm. always using the, the, the base material of, of my reactions and then trying to articulate my reactions into something that I can say that can uh, – you know, have some sort of effect in the world. Mm-hmm. Now that 
activity of my mind and my heart interacting constantly is always directed at the world. It's always directed horizontally, something that happened, you know, some tragedy that happened in the United States or just some stupid thing that somebody said, some other person said. It's in the, the human sphere. In order for me to have a relationship with that transcendent and enter into that worshipful state, I have to let go of my connection to that horizontal plane. I have to let it go. And this okay, is what ties okay, me. Okay, 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 yes. So my mind is like, and and I've been, it, it, I've disciplined myself and I practiced this for a long time. My spiritual, um, my major spiritual change in my life occurred in 1998. And since 1998, I've had a lot of time to practice letting go of my mind and and seeing it as something that runs, not shutting it down. I'm not shutting down my mind, but I'm paying attention to other things. And my mind's always there. So there's this moment in my worship, I get so far and my mind comes back to me. My mind starts, starts feeding on this energy because it's clear again. It's clean again. I, I got rid of that, that crust and that dirt that was weighing me down. Sadness, depression, anger, guilt, all that shame, what, all that stuff. Is it, through worship for me, through attending to that transcendence and really paying attention to the physical manifestation of that energy, it's very, very, very subtle for me. It's a very subtle vibration, but paying attention to that introduces this process of being freed from that. And then my brain starts saying, I can play again. I can play again. And my my brain's like, okay, what do we can play with? And it starts thinking. And and it's really attractive to me because it's really fun. Like my brain gets really fun. And then my attention starts getting into my brain. And then for the rest of my half hour worship session, I bounce back and forth between recentering myself on that process of worship and, you know, and then playing around with my mind. Now, one more thing, and then we can pivot out of this or, or go deeper into this, is that when, when I talk about that, that process of purification, there are, different, there, there are different levels of that purification. And by purification, I mean letting go of the gick and the gunk that just kind of gets stuck to you during life, living your life. Mm-hmm. And you can't let go of living life. You can't let go of getting dirty. You can live in a way that causes you to be less dirty, but you're always going to get dirty. No Mm. matter how spiritual you are, you will always get dirty. And anybody who professes to free you completely from dirt and free you from life, they don't know what they're talking about. Or they're a cult leader. They're a cult leader. You you need to actually be in in a... in a constant back and forth between the material world or th- this, this world and the transcendent. If you want to be a spiritual person, you're not here in this world to leave this world. You're here in this world to deal with this world. This world is dirty. Now, with regards to that dirt, there's that, you know, if you have a spiritual practice, maybe once a week, twice a week, where you're in a worship setting, and this can be any given church any given uh, litany or series of worship or ceremony, et cetera, as long as you are using that, that all those different aspects of that church that you're in to allow yourself to interact with the spirit, there will be a process of purification. That process of purification, it starts on the surface level, but over time it goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper and and you start to go through different experiences that take years or months or weeks of going through different layers of purification where your actual attention your actual attention your mind your feelings all those things start to become deep, more and more clean and more and more sensitive if if you're on a spiritual path 
It sounds like you're talking about ritual. Like you're talking about worship, but then, and maybe this is because I'm a little bit orthodox um, bent lately, but you're describing doing something that seems surface at first. So that Mm -hmm. could be, you know, um, I'm thinking like, because we we talked about iconoclasm the last time we spoke. So I was just thinking a little bit like, I'll say looking at an icon or... um, We'll just leave it there, and and but then but then, it, it you just start off by and then saying maybe the Jesus prayer or something. And again, mm-hmm. this uh, you could use um, mantras in other um, religious uh, spaces or mm-hmm. or not even religious because you could do meditative type spaces. It starts mm-hmm. off on the surface. You're practicing it, prayer postures or you know uh, attention postures. Mm-hmm. And but th- but then it, it, there's there are layers that you can penetrate deeper into, and I feel like I'm kind of repeating a little bit of what you said, but I'm just adding that it's that sounds like ritual. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, to a certain degree, we require stairs to ascend, uh, and those stairs start as very material stairs. Very, you put your body in this position, you say these words. My spiritual practice doesn't have those steps, and for that reason, it doesn't uh, translate well into religious discussions because it mm-hmm. it is free of those steps. It is completely spontaneous and direct, and everybody has to find their own way, and everybody discovers their own steps, their own ritual uh, along the way. But you're always you're always returning the, to that state of being that flashing cursor. Of, of being willing to let go of everything you have, absolutely letting go of everything you have to the best of your ability in order to receive something more, you know? Okay, like the open hands. Yeah, like open hands, yeah. Yeah, okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna go over to the idea of, because the reason why you wanna go into eventually this subject you say because of you are a storyteller because you're a storyteller in the world Mm -hmm. you are if you focus on narrative and and you say it's linked and can can you go into that a little bit more about why i don't think you said god because this was was within the first few minutes you said belief i think Mm-hmm. Why is belief and storytelling intrinsically linked? So I think that basically a story is the way in which we deal with time and we deal with circumstance, we deal with self and other, and we deal with change and we deal with context the way in which a story is fashioned is that it's modeled entirely on human experience. It's just a replication of human experience. And if you look at like the rudiments of story, I think I've already said this, probably not to you, but I have already said this. When you are talking to a two-year-old, let's say, somebody who has the rudiments of language and grammar, 
and can understand what you're saying, right? And you start telling them a story, they there's this amazing moment that if you do it right, they their their body becomes lax and they become completely receptive and they're hanging on your every word, right? And they're just totally like absorbing this thing that you're putting into their brain. And I remember when I was really young, I remember there's these moments when people would tell me stories and I would see it. It would become a part of my memory. Like I lived through that whole thing. I would completely absorb those words and, and what they were saying. Like some older kids told me this scary story. I still think that it happened to me. Like it, it's in my brain that like they were in this haunted house and like things were getting really, really scary, you know, with like they had a, I remember like there was this, they had a mug with the American flag on it and then it turned into a skull, you know, and, and it was just like this scary story, you know, and, um, and like, I would think back How on symbolic. that. Sorry, it's so symbolic. Like, it's like, it was America and then it turned into a skull, like Halloween yeah. type. Anyway, go on. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, so when you're talking to a two-year-old, you don't have to have plot. You need to have some sort of frame of reference, which would be a character. So I could, I would tell, you know, I was working with two-year-olds, toddler yeah. land. You, you just tell the story of and then, and then, and then, and then, and you just like mix in a bunch of random integers into there, like a bl uh, blue balloon turning into an ant with a fortress that wants to turn it into a pyramid. But how do you turn a balloon into a pyramid? And then you just have like just and then and then and then and then and then and you'd run out of like you'd run out of an arc, even if you don't have a plot, you'd, you'd get to the end of and thening and the kid would say, and then what? And mm. then what? Like that they are really invested in story. So I think for whatever reason, there's probably a lot of research into this that I'm not connected to. For whatever reason, story is the way in which we contextualize information. We put information into a story. If you can use story and even just very, very basic story like a parable, which, which mm -hmm. uh, is from the Greek parabola, which is just the arc of very simple this, then this, then that, right? You can pack mm -hmm. a lot of information into that. Belief, however, within the religious context, belief, it really depends. But I would say, broadly speaking, that belief in the monotheistic sense, probably polytheistic, or belief in the theistic sense is a story that we tell ourselves in order to position ourselves towards the infinite or towards the greatness. And, and I guess in, to, to borrow from Peugeot with regards to worship, and Peugeot is a storyteller. He's thoroughly a storyteller. I don't know to what extent his, his religion exists outside of story. I think that there's a lot of spirituality outside of story, but he's a very deft storyteller. And mm -hmm. within his frame of reference that, that you said to me, and I have not watched that video, he says that, you know, worship or attention, the, the belief or the story would be that which orients your attention to what is outside of the story or mm -hmm. orients your, your, your attention into a feedback loop so that you're participating in something greater than you, be it your community, be it your larger self, your deeper self, or be it with God and then everything that God has created. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that would be the uh role of belief in shaping your attention. Okay, well, 
what about those Sorry, I just need to say this. Um, I once had to um, tell uh, the story of Job to four-year-olds. So that was challenging. Was it, though? <laughs> I mean... What choices yeah. did you have to make in, in telling that story? I, I, I had... I didn't have a... Like, I had to go through, like, the little picture Bible. It wasn't in there. So, like, it was... That was the story for the week. Hmm. And I had to, um, I was like, oh, well, there's no story to have a picture to reference children. But, um, okay, uh, let's just, uh, there was a man and God gave him everything and took it away. And then it turned out that uh, he's not God and that God does not owe him an explanation. Yeah. I don't know. I Man, I don't remember. Yeah, I, yeah. I just did the best I could yeah, to yeah. end Why do you think that it was left? left out of that picture Bible and why do you think it was difficult to, for your mind to think that a four-year-old could possibly conceive of losing all their toys and losing all their friends and getting so mad that they can't even get mad at dad anymore. They just get mad at everything. And then everything says, do you have any idea what you're talking about? Okay, well, now you're making me think that, like, of course I could have, um, Mr. Storyteller. Oh, I didn't mean, I didn't, I didn't mean to, to position that. No, no, that. no. Just you're, why you're do you think a, that... You're giving... Why do you think that we think that children don't understand that ultimately they aren't accountable for everything? Okay. Or the okay, of the so universe? I think it's easier to talk about Noah and the Ark because there are... The end thens are, li- okay. are a yeah. little bit more concrete. Yes. Whereas okay. with yeah. Job, it's it's so much focused on the cerebral. What did I do? His friends yeah. being like, "Well, it must have been something." You know, there's maybe, maybe, maybe that was my constraint. Hmm. I was. I know what the the, the chapters about are about. Like mm-hmm. I've read through it, so and I know it's many a chapter are not on the narrative. They're yeah. on the discussion Process. between yeah. these, yeah, these th- his friends and him. His characters, yeah. And then the end is God coming and showing him, Did you, were you there when I laid the foundations of the world? Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't know, they, I got through it. Like, they didn't yeah. all stand up and walk over to play. Oh, so okay. maybe they got it better than I thought. There you go. Yeah. I mean, but, it might, it might, um, you need to have a conception of, uh, responsibility, uh, before that. And four year olds are still working through, uh, responsibility. Mm. I mean, that's what they have to learn. And then Job is kind of a later development on that, like hubris, uh, you know, and after you have responsibility, after you're God fearing, right. Say, well, you know, I, I worship God and then still, not really understanding that God doesn't owe you anything back. Um, right. I know. I, I, yeah, I, I do think it was a developmental thing. But you're right. It's not that you can't distill the concept down. Like the idea of losing all their toys. Like, yeah, they absolutely could get that. My, yeah, yeah. I have a five-year-old running around the house right now. I can hear him. My husband's picking up my kids with the other ones. And I can, I mean, he's good. He's not going to leave. But I'm like, he would get that. He would get that losing all of his trains. He loves Thomas trains. Anywho, back to, I put a pin in it before, mentally. 
So you brought up the, oh, shoot, I just spilled this on myself. No oh, big sorry. deal. That's fine. It's okay. It doesn't matter. Um, I'm sorry. Andrea, you're falling apart. Man, it's the Job thing. It really, like, knocked me off balance. So, oh, wow, yeah. I'm blaming. I'm blaming. I'm just, I'm doing what his friends are just blaming, blaming things. I'm not God. There. My hubris has been. Anyway. So, so, okay. You, you mentioned about belief and I'm just thinking in the context of those who, I want to say who don't have belief, but we all believe things. Like, you know, in in some, many, I'm thinking of like the Polar Express, there's this like, you've got to believe. You've got to believe. Believe in Santa. And like, you know, blessed is he who continues believing in Santa and can hear the, the special jingle bell after everyone else stops hearing it into adulthood. Mm-hmm. It, you know, there it's it's in it's in us. It's in our secular culture, even though yeah, you know. But so so what what do what do those do who don't have that that faith? But you know, again, I know that we don't have belief apart. Sorry, we can have belief apart from religion. But what what about stories? Then the meaning of stories for those who don't have a faith in a any any religion. You remember, was it called testimonies? Oh, yeah. Bearing witness, right? Yeah. Is that the phrase? Yeah. So when when there's a religious congregation, how they reify that they're on the right path together, they, you know, they have a weekly ceremony, part of their weekly worship or maybe monthly worship is that people give a testimony, say, this is what happened to me, this is how I was brought to Christ uh, and that it's a great tool to make it personal. And when you listen to somebody else's experience of going through something and um, seeing something or feeling something greater than, and, and you know, are f- feeling a love or feeling, seeing the light, like there's, the, there's these kind of, uh, these metaphors that we use, um, and they're, they're kind of tropes, but you can always see, I don't know if you pay attention, I can see usually if somebody's seen that or not, or if somebody knows that or not. And even if they're young in their faith, and still wrestling with belief, that they have a starting point. They have that grain of sand that will be, you know, encrusted into a pearl, you know. Mm-hmm. That, that if, if the belief is not based on a personal experience, then my question is, is it not just a rote expression of what was already given to you? Like, how did you make that yours unless you are prompted to reinterpret that through your experience? So belief can show the way, stories can show the way and give you a sense of that. They always give you a sense of that better than a theological discussion. Well, mm-hmm. and of mm-hmm. course, um, of course, people would have to pay attention to that story in the way that it needs to be paid attention to to understand the information that's being conveyed, right? People who are very mental, who want to do this God exists, God doesn't exist thing, that stuff can come and go and will go on for eternity. It's just a mm-hmm. big chess game of words. Like, okay, mm-hmm. what does that actually do in the world? 
Uh, are you trying to limit people's capacity to be fundamentalist? Are you trying to insert rationality into human behavior, which is a good thing if that's what you are. If you're a virtuous atheist, you're trying to say, okay, listen, you can believe all these things, but reality is reality. We need to deal with reality in very specific ways, right? Mm -hmm. You can argue away or into all these different word games, these belief games. You can do that or... You can go about your life. You can pay attention. If you're an accountant, you go there and you pay attention to the numbers in the way that they need to pay attention to. Then when you go home from work, you're driving in your car, you're on the bus, and you're kind of letting that go, and you get into family mode. You're, you're going to get into your you know dad of four-year-old, mom of five-year-old mode, and you, you change for, you put away that accounting way of paying attention, and you switch into a, a more uh, – a, a different – phase of attention, a different form of attention. And you give your attention to your family in a different way than you do to your ledger, right? And the ledger wouldn't work if you treated it like a child and the child wouldn't work if you treated it like a ledger book. And there are parts of life that don't work unless you pay attention to them in a very specific way, a very cultivated way. And that cultivated way has a lot of symbolic knowledge and language around it and you can get really deep and it, it kind of loses its luster for me when it strays too far from the mythological but there's something about the mythological there's something about what Peugeot preaches or promulgates it, it, it's starting to, to ping against you and there's this woman and there's this baby and there's this angel and there's this donkey and there's this gremlin and, and he's doing all this and he's showing you a, a contextual analysis, a way of paying attention to that story that doesn't work if you try to reduce it into a logical proposition. It doesn't work if you try to reduce it into a relational uh, proposition that you would use with your wife. You know, you can't use what Peugeot's teaching to, you know, fix a broken marriage. Now, you could probably use it to to get yourself put together better, and then you can go from that place into your relationship and, and analyze if you can even fix it and stuff. But there's, mm-hmm. a diff- there's all these different languages and, and stuff. And the lastly, there's a Vulgate way of communicating spirituality. And by Vulgate, I mean a common tongue for communicating spirituality. And it's usually in personal experience. Somebody will just tell you the story where they were at the end of their rope and, and they were in a car and they were just, they let go of their will. They, 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 they were caused to let go of something and they received something in return. And that mm. thing that they received is a gift without price. It's a light within light. It's a life within your life. It's something that wakes them up on a deep level and causes mm-hmm. them to go on a journey to substantiate that in their daily living. So. Okay, so with story, going back to your the points that you mentioned about it's what Peugeot does, and you could just say, oh, well, go watch some of his videos. That's how you... It's how we can learn how to properly listen to stories. But how do we, how are we supposed to pay attention properly to stories? Like, that's what you said. You need to pay attention in the right way. Yeah. How? Have we lost that? Um, that, so the way that Paul Vanderclay tells, he relates his self. And you can feel over the course of engaging with his material that he has something that he's conveying that's beneath everything that he's saying. 
you know, he, he deconstructs Peugeot videos, he deconstructs Brett Weinstein and Jordan Peterson, he deconstructs all these things, and he's using all these texts, and maybe he's a C.S. Lewisian or something like that, you know, Lewisian, you know, like he's got his whole system of belief, and he's got his wheelhouse that he's doing, he's playing with these concepts, and he's going over there. But be- beneath that, there's some sort of reality that he's conveying, that's an embodied reality, a, a reality that, that leads to community, uh, a reality that leads to community, and because it leads to community, it leads through his heart to his community. And mm-hmm. you can tell that the community that he's founding is not based on the mind. It uses mind to communicate. There's all these voices. He's got a Discord. I haven't been a part of it. I can't handle that app. I mean, I, I looked on it, but I, I, I fled um, for my own I reasons. Know. Yeah. But even though there's all these people talking mentally, He's always pointing to something more relational. And and he has the tool to do that because even when he's disagreeing with somebody, he's loving them. I see a lot of love coming through him. So I don't know what love is, but love is his connection. Love love is a, it's like this sap that that's that that's flowing through him to other people and is populating a forest. It's bringing people close to him and then close to together through him, through that, through that current that's going. He's using his language up here, but underneath he's connecting people on that level. I'm glad you brought up community because I actually did want to ask you about that in relation to narrative. Because I know that in ancient narrative, it was a communal... Ancient narrative. Yeah, we're going there. I, I, don't I mean, who doesn't want to go to an ancient narrative, right? Like, ancient narrative. It's a it's a party. It's yeah, it's a good time. It's ancient. It's, it's, it's a good been time going thing. on. Yeah. So, hearkening back to days of old, um, no, yeah. but for real, it 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 was story originated being told around the campfire, and was like you know maybe even sung together. I, I don't know. I've heard that in the past. You know, there they was this. It was there were poems, and there were people yeah. knew them, and maybe even sang them and sang them together communally. What do you think is the importance or significance of that? And and we of having a community that goes along with the the narrative and and who believes in the narrative. Yeah. Well, it's it's great for getting things done, right? Okay, well, what things? Well, anything. Uh, you can build a bridge, you can battle an army, um, or you can uh, survive some very desperate situations as a community if you have that kind of narrative substrate of mm-hmm. mythos. And mythos and story, and this is, I'm not sure about Peugeot, I, I love him dearly and I trust him a lot. He's got a great, great heart and a br- he's a brilliant mind and a, a f- fabulous imagination. I don't know what to, to, I don't know to what degree things happen beyond that transcendent thing. So he's got this fabulous structure that I jive with, but I don't know what, to, what happens when you get, when you climb that ladder, when you use his stories to climb up that ladder, like where do you Doesn't do when just keep the, going the, into heaven? The, is it... Yeah, the Truman story. Like every story is like a tr- uh, every story is a Truman story. So what happens when you you've created this great world in your imagination? It's got all these moving parts. It's all balanced. It's great, but there's still a limit. There's still a dome. 
what happens when you poke your head out of that dome? Is there anything outside of that dome? Is there anything in that dome that's going to prepare you for what's outside that dome? If you're called to, to, to ascend, if you are called out of that dome, what, what of that dome will remain with you? I don't know. I don't know. But his dome is very wonderful and beautiful, and it's going to work for a lot of people that jive with that aesthetically. And it might even be really good to have a lot of people, let's say 5% of the population, co- coincidentally interacting with that narrative might lend a lot of stability to life because they have that dome is such that it doesn't uh, cause you to be outraged all the time. There's something, there's really good aspects of it that doesn't turn you into a flaming asshole. Now, Flaming assholes could certainly live within that dome and use that dome to commit flaming asshole. I'm sorry to use bad words on your show. We're talking about spiritual matters. Oh, man, I don't care. Well, anyways, I'm sorry. I just don't don't use them, but you feel free. The the mean people. Yeah, I apologize to you because you're a gentle woman, but I also apologize for for staining your show with this rhetoric. But Sometimes you got to go there. For me, it was... (laughs) For me, it was wanting to be with the spirit. So in my upbringing, there was mentions of the spirit constantly and in, in the Bible. You're talking about the spirit of God, the Shekinah. Well, that's Jewish. Um, I don't know if it's literally in the Bible or not, but the it Holy is the spirit. Shekinah glory. The, okay. It was the what, what was referred to as the uh, the when God Shroud. would descend as a pillar yeah. of fire. Light. But then that fire. entered the tabernacle. Yes. Okay. Um, but you know, in the New Testament, there's the Holy Spirit and there's the Pentecost. And then during the Pentecost, um, a bunch of people just broke free of spirit and they were singing and dancing and it was spontaneous. I was looking for that spontaneous thing. The problem with narratives is that how do you be spontaneous with a predetermined order? If you look at Peugeot mm-hmm. and aesthetically, and I, I'm not picking on him. I really am not picking on him. And I'm sure he has wonderful answers to this. But why does he work within a traditional form? Is there anything new that he's doing? Is there any room for playing around and, and putting the head of the dragon on St. Michael and St. Michael's head on the dragon, right? Is there any, is there any room to play around the, with those symbols? Or is he committed to that and and inscribing those symbols over and over and over again as a meditative process that points outside of that symbol. But with the symbols themselves, is there play? Or do you play with those symbols within that form to achieve something outside of that form, some sort of betterment or communion with God? Okay, is there? I don't know. I don't know. But for me, I wanted something more than that. And so when I was 18, 19, 19, 20, 20, 20, 21, I radically disembarked from my faith. I had in my 19 to my first half of my 20 year, no, my, my 20th year was spent seeking God very seriously and dealing with a lot of sadness that I had and dealing with a lot of anger that I had and dealing with a lot of lust that I had and dealing with all these things that I had and and seeking purity and seeking to be holy and seeking communion with the spirit and, and reaching a wall and being, being fed up with what I'd been fed, um, Mm -hmm. being fed up with the, uh, man fell into sin and then Jesus comes and saves you. The end. 
for everyone or else the end for you. I mean, no, I'm, I'm straw manning that, but I wanted something more. And so I broke out of that and I played around with different substances that would uh, play around with my, the chemicals in my brain and allow me to be playful in that area. I played around with relationships in different ways. I played around with a lot of different philosophies where I would just shove my head full of all these different philosophies and then just mm-hmm. watch my head like, like try to make sense of like, you know, put like the Buddha and Nietzsche together in a conversation with my brain, you know. And then mm-hmm. I, I kind of started to go on a spiritual journey very explicitly in my life and, and inscribe into myself and inscribe into the world a holy text of my own and embark upon that journey. And I was given, I was offered two paths for me, one of surrender or one of will, one of one of concentrating my own powers and, and adulating myself and making myself the center of the world, the, mm-hmm. the path of uh, dark magic, you know, in, in a way, the path of of the uh, you know, of, of of amplification of everything that I was. And then there's this mm-hmm. other path that would have me let go of all that, and and have faith that it would return to me. And, mm-hmm. and for a young man, that's, that's a pretty big wager. For me, it was a pretty big wager. But I, I gained enough insight into this surrendering model, and I gained enough experience with this willful model that I knew that the willful model would trap me. And mm-hmm. I, w- I only had so much will to spend in my life. This other model would renew me, mm-hmm. but I would have to give up my ego, and I would have to go through a number of different deaths. And I would have to be constantly... Re- reminded of my smallness and my humility and my faults and, and seek for atonement and forgiveness of them where I, where I could just accrue those things and not care about them. But I would always feel them with me in the willful path. I saw that I was too weak for the willful path, ultimately. That's so an interesting way of the path of, of surrender. Can someone who's strong succeed in the willful path? Well, I don't know what success is. I think that we're getting a little off the rails here, but I think that Alistair Crowley um, pursued that path. I don't know exactly how he ended up, but I don't imagine him to be a happy person. Um, But I was always amazed at how far he could push that willful path. Um, But I don't know. I I saw that I didn't have the strength to redeem myself. I didn't have the, the strength to accurately disengage from my mistakes. Um... Uh, without them just becoming a part of me. And I saw that my attention would become narrower and mm. stronger, but but more reliant on anger and lust to get its way. And I ultimately saw that that caused me to be a person that I didn't want to be in the, in the eyes of other people. And I couldn't okay. get away from being responsible to other people, um, even though uh, ultimately I kind of just let go of all the people and went and be a hermit for a while um, to pursue a, a renewal of myself, but uh, that was based on uh, wanting to be uh, uh, wanting to be a servant of of the Almighty, or wanting to place my life in the service of something greater than my will. Mm. So, what is the playing around with different? archetypal figures, I guess, that you described. Archetypal figures. You just like repeating the things I'm saying in whispers. Like, are are we doing an ASMR, like, little... We can, if you would like. (laughs) Um, 
My mouth is a little uh, smacky right now, so I don't want to do that. What was the one that... Oh, yeah, the uh, ancient story. Now you're like, Arctic. Ancient story. I do think you have a lovely um, voice, by the way. Like, I do think that when you do that thing, it's like, oh, that's nice. Okay. But you know that. You knew that. You don't need to hear that from... You don't need more ego. I... I returned to playing with the archetypes, though. I, I returned to Genesis. I returned to trying to recreate I a principal text. Yes, you um, did. Yes. So, so, did I did I did I finish my question? I don't. I got distracted by your. Whispers. I distracted you. Ugh! But like, it's my job to be like, no, stay on course. I'm the host. But you know, sometimes, sometimes. Yeah, we well, look at who you're talking to. You should know better, Benjamin. You led me astray. Anyway, okay, okay, so. Back on track. Man, I'm spilling tea on myself, and I'm like, oh, it's you're It's all bullying. off screen, yeah. I know. But I have to talk about it, because it happened. Okay. So, yeah. so, Bear okay. Bear to the tea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, did you, what, what is the significance, and you already knew the, the question, but like, what is the significance of changing those things around for you? What is... What what do you get out of that? I guess that's that's my question. Why is it meaningful for you? Well, my my narrative creative project, which I'm trying to finish so I can go on and, and make a new one, but again I'm stuck. Always stuck with this stuff. Um you want the beginning and you want the end. And you want the end to be really cataclysmic, right? But you want everything that shatters to have significance. So you have to have the beginning, too. You have to mm -hmm. establish the conditions of an apocalypse. If you're a world burner worth your salt, you have to build the word world first. And I was always attracted to uh, Once Upon a Times um, and in the beginnings. Uh, that's actually part of my... That's one of like my sacred uh, mantras. Like mm. I'll, I'll find myself saying in the beginning, in the beginning, in the beginning, or be before the beginning and after the end, before the beginning and after the end, before the beginning and after the end. That for some reason that unlocks uh, a state in me. Um, That's going to be the title know. of this episode. Before, before the, the beginning, beginning and, after. and after the end. Yeah. So... When I wanted to get back to writing after I uh, used writing to try to achieve some sort of spiritual reality or something like that, um, and then I was kind of smacked around a bit, and then I'm like, okay, well, I can't just go around writing these, you know, gematrias, these grammars, these uh, books of magic. I can't do that. I have to make books that other people want to read. People mm -hmm. don't like poetry. They do like story, though. Okay, so I have to learn how to tell a story. Well, what's a story? Um, and coincidentally, I was talking about this, but I ended up in a preschool. So I'm like, okay, well, what is a story? Once upon a time, blah, 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 blah. Spiky the worm did this, and then all these And then, and then, and then. And then, 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 and then. I was watching these children. I was watching these children. I was watching these children play around, and I was watching these children in this very mythological state of being, these very very big characters you know they're in small bodies but they're these very epic characters every child is such an epic entity they are what they are and you know they're you know, they have faults and they have blessings they have gifts they have all these things and they're just so strong especially 
you know, two to five, maybe there's this really golden age of childhood. And mm-hmm. I want to capture that. I want to capture that. And then, you know, well, what did the Bible start with? You know, it started with Adam and Eve and, you know, Cain and Abel. And it started with the same kind of story, these really big characters that represent so much. Adam represents so much. Cain represents so much. Noah represents so much. Abraham mm-hmm. represents so much. You know, and then and then they get successively more refined. Like King David represents a whole lot, but and he produces the Psalms, right? But mm-hmm. he he doesn't have the mythological status of Adam, of Eve, of Cain, of Abel, of Noah. Mm-hmm. Like he's he's mm-hmm. more closer to a modern human being conception of a human being. You know, when you read right. the Chronicles and the Book of Kings and stuff, you have these these characters who are very dramatic. Um, but but and just like uh, the difference between the Iliad, the Odyssey, and the ancient Greek myths. So you have the mm-hmm. ancient Greek myths with all these titans and these gods and stuff, and then you get to the Odyssey, and there's these human beings fighting this war, and they're still larger than life, but right. they're not so large that they're the pillars of the universe. They aren't these principal. They're, they're not these principal characters that 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 create the godlike superstructure of a polyphonic universe where everything represents everything. Achilles represents a whole lot, but he's still Achilles. He's still a mortal man. There's something about him that will die, that has an end and has a beginning and doesn't why just represent it, this thing eternally. Why is it like that? Why does it go from so big to, is it a maturity? I think is it's it? developmental. I, I don't, I can guess. I think it's developmental. I think that when you speak in terms of gods, it, it, it satisfies something, but it's not really satisfying for adults. Like we, we would rather have stories when we watch our dramas, there's not a lot of mythological dramas. There's dramas that edge into the mythos, and I'm talking TV shows or something like that. You can you can see some glimmers of of, of magic, some glimmers of, of mytho- mythology and stuff, but they're they're much more closer. Like Thor in the Marvel universe, you know. Well, he's more, you're right. He's more human than God. Like I know he's yeah. he's a god. He is a god, but he goes through this. And it's actually really brilliant what they did with him in, uh, I guess, Endgame when he was just the schlubby guy. He'd fallen from grace and he's still a he god. Really he's, did. In this, yeah. he's in this other state of being. He's in this fallen state of being and he has to kind of uh, redeem himself. So there was these really great arcs of redemption that, that mm-hmm. these these human characters travel through. Um mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, which makes them less than gods at that point, but more, but closer to us, more relatable to us. We can't really relate to an angel. Right. We can't okay, relate okay. to an angel. Have you ever seen an angel? It would, it would obliterate you. Like you have no conception. You, you have no, you like, even in the Bible, when the Bible talks of the, the son of God or something coming through and one of the prophets sees the God and the, the prophet just falls down flat on their face and they're standing be, be, before this divine radiant image. So There's I'm a man of that, unclean lips. Is that, I don't remember it what it was. There's a, there's, there's these glimpses of prophets interacting with the transcendent where it really shows you starkly that there is a limit to the human. There's a limit to the human that you can't conceive of the, the imaginary, the godlike, is something that we can imagine, and it's brute force. It's really greater, but we can't really embody those, and we don't really relate to those. We relate more to uh, you know uh, things that are more like us, more human than us. Right. So we the project, heroes. 
we project these uh, anthropomorphic go- uh, human-like behaviors onto the elements, onto the universe, onto the sun, but we still know that those things are much greater than those human elements and stuff. So we can tell stories about them, but they're, they're all, there's this huge distance between mm. them and us. And the hero uh, take, takes, uh, you know, is closer to us, but still is partaking in that world. And then there's different gradations of narrative and of literature that get closer and closer to what we are. Wait. So why do you see the... You're, you are being quite fair with regards to Peugeot and saying, like, he's he's working within the frame. Yeah. What if I want to work outside of the frame with those aspects that are found within the frame? So you started answering, and then we did a bit of a tangent. So why the kids? That's where that's where you said, you said I started seeing these kids yeah. respond. So why do you want to play with those ar- the, arch- the archetypes? Well, I, I, I wanted to tell a story. And so there was, uh, there was this book called The Bidden Fruit, which is a play on the forbidden fruit. And it inverts oh, the Bible. Yeah. It, it, oh. it inverts that primary uh, assumption that this is a fallen world, that we were kicked out of heaven. And now we have to work. And now we have to you know, labor uh, and and be a scare, scared of snakes and, and till the fields and uh, be subservient to men because we have to bear children and stuff like that. In in the basic conception or the the, the like the the hypothesis or the basic seed of this book, the bidden fruit is that human beings were invited to go from a higher state into a lower state and lift up that lower state. We were invited into this bidden world. We were bid here to lift it up and to participate in in the act of lifting what is low to what is high and being the bridge of transit between the transcendent and the material. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and from that follows all these other conditions for the story to take place. All these different characters arise. You know, you have Adam and Eve. They have four daughters in the garden. And two, one, one daughter leaves before it's time. So she ends up in a lower form. She ends up in this really twisted biological form because she, her consciousness, she's just pure consciousness. She enters into the world before there's a body suitable to human consciousness, before the, the human being had been crafted uh, through evolutionary processes and t- mm-hmm. to be able to, to contain the human noble soul. And then another daughter is scared to leave. She, she looks at what happens down there. She's like, I don't want to have anything to do with that don't mm-hmm. make me go god don't make me go god don't make me go god and adam says well if you pray maybe you'll get what you want and she uh she prays and then she's given a gift of uh bringing into life all of these female souls in heaven where you have the aori mm-hmm. uh, all these all these female souls that just exist in eden and then there's mm-hmm. these two other daughters uh that decide to go into the world with Adam and Eve and how Adam and Eve and those two daughters actually enter the world. There's this spot in the material world uh, where there's this, this pillar of smoke. It's a, uh, it's a umbilical cord of mist that descends up and down from our, our plane and then Eden, our true home. And they are all taken down. And what happens, the, the moment of breaching is when Eve gives birth to the first two male heirs of Adam, uh, Anwas and Anwar. And from that to from those two twins, 
and those two daughters arises all of humanity. Well, mm. Adam and Eve go through the whole world and they have all these children all over the place because their their job is to populate the world. But those the Anwar and Anwas go back to there's these two basic paths of masculine spirituality. And then there's mm-hmm. these other female spiritualities that I explore through Vina and Sola. Vina being um, one version of the female archetype um, and one one version. And then Sola, who's I know better because she was more interesting to me. Um, she's the healer type of female. And, and her spirituality is to uh, convince things to heal themselves. That's how she's mm. a healer. She convinces she she says that health is is the ability to become healthy it's not being in a state of health and falling mm. from it it's the ability he, true health is the ability to maintain that state of health and and to fix yourself and to overcome the obstacles or the pains or the or the faults in in the world uh, through 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 grace and she's the bearer of grace and then mm. anwas anwar is the bearer of, of oh, no. very humble living ben. of just being benjamin Hello? Hi. Shoot. What? I can see you. Oh, man. I can see you. I can it's just you. getting good. Frick. Um, I can see you. So it's on your end. Can you not hear me? Hello? Hi. said what the fuck wait what don't leave you're gonna call me back okay Hello. I didn't lose you at all. At all? So yeah. you saw me being like, oh no, it was just getting good. So that must have been on my end. Sorry, man. Uh, okay, so Anwas, that was, uh, let me just make sure, yeah, you're you're being picked up. Uh, yeah, we, we're, uh, we're good to go. We're good to go. I, so have Anwas, a, I, have a, I have an end to this rant. So yeah, okay, I believe it's you. It's not interminable. Um, okay. So then you have the two masculine forms of spirituality. One is Anwar, who is a very humble, follows in the footsteps of Adam. He's given this life to make the most of it. Uh, He's the shepherd. Uh, He's a a kind of just somebody who lives life and provides for his family. And he's kind of boring. (laughs) I don't want to write about him. I want to write about (laughs) Anwas. (laughs) And Anwas looks at the world. And here's the point of the story. So Anwas looks at the world and he decides that he has this capacity. He's, he's the highest form of human being, 
I mean, Adam's probably, Adam is technically higher than him and his brother's at the same place, but he is at the source of humankind. He has, he's, has the most excellent mind and heart and will that will ever be given. Everything after this first generation is going to be divided and subdivided and start mixing with the dirt and getting further and further from that originary state. And he's at the top of this mountain and he says, I can follow, I can wed my will to the will divine or I can, my, but my will is so fine that it could be a will unto itself. I would to will a world unto my own. And so he decides to go on this path of self-mastery, of concentration of his will, and of eventually letting go of everything that's given, letting go of heaven, letting go of grace, letting go of leaving this world and ascending back up to his originary state and becoming unto himself his own world. And that's what he does. He goes through the steps, I don't want to ruin the story, but he goes through this, this multiple steps of, of separating himself from the world and creating a world unto himself. He is the primary builder. He's this, he's this very, very concentrated form of, of masculine creativity. Now, is, is he, okay, I, this is how my kids ask, is he a bad guy or a good guy? That, that's a great question. That's exactly where I was going with this. So my first draft of this story, it was in 2001 or 2002, I got this blank book and I drew all these illustrations for it. And I, I had this sub story of this father and the son, this prodigal son narrative, because I was dealing with some issues with my dad or inside myself with the father figure. And so there's this conversation between a father and a son. And then from those conversations came all these stories about the 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 first people like this rebooting of Genesis, this biblical fan fiction. And in my first draft, uh, Anwas was the bad guy. In my second draft, Anwas was the bad guy. And it didn't feel right. There was something cheap. I was cheapening this man by conceiving. There was something wrong about the way that I was conceiving this guy. Like, this is the wrong path. Or I was moralizing him. Or there was something broken about him. There's nothing broken about this man. He knew exactly what he wanted to do. And I went through a couple more deaths in my life. You know, I was broken across the shoals of romantic and, and uh, ambitious life, you know. And, and I, I beached again. I, I lost all of my ambition, all my will to build. I lost my will all over again. And I beached against the preschool once more. I just like floated ashore of this a little preschool with these children and snack time and nap time and play time and, and all these women that would take care of everybody, you know. All these ladies, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, women are wonderful. But um, I, I was there, I was there, I was there. I couldn't write anymore. I couldn't write anymore. And then uh, there was this thing called the iPhone that was invented. Uh, I have one mm -hmm. in my hand. I have like the 10th or 12th generation. But mm -hmm. I got the fourth generation iPhone. I just I got this iPhone. So it was 2010 or something like that. And I was working full time. Uh, and and I had this itch. Like I was writing these songs, but I had this itch. Like I, I want to tell this story. I want to tell the story. I was watching these children play. I'm like, I think I figured out how to speak biblically. Like really speak in that mythological tone. Really sparse. sparse really pared down. Really just mm -hmm. the concentrated story. 
and and I had I got this text application, which is black with white letters, and I would walk around the preschool, and I would just type in one sentence after the other, one sentence after the other, and I knew I wouldn't be able to write. Anwas. I knew I didn't have the capacity to write this character. So I wrote everybody but him. I wrote around him so that he mm. is he's there, but I'm writing around him and around him and around him. And I'm telling all these stories with this this person that I really want to talk. There's the story that I really want to tell. I'm preparing to tell that story. And I wrote around and around and around and around and around it so that by the time it was time for me to write him, uh, which was uh, 10 years after that when I was at the Evergreen State College and, and I, I got to the end of my, my, my final book, you know, I was at chapter 24 of this baby here. And I'm like, it's time to tell the story. It's time to tell the story okay. of the woman and the man. These two principal characters that I've written all around, I'm going to tell now. And I chose an epic form. I chose a non-rhyming iambic pentameter there's a technical term where it doesn't rhyme but like this ancient form you know well not ancient but milton's ancient form, form. ancient yeah. forms of storytelling and uh <laughs> and i told it and i told it one step after a time one step after a time and then like so i have that diadem from which everything else descends so we can finally get to the end of time where his his behavior at the beginning of time, Anwas's behavior, affects everybody all the way to the end of time. So, mm. so I had it all ready to, to put that in place. And that's the only book that you can find of me that's printed. And it's really, really dense. I, I'm not going to say that anybody should I'm read it. I'm only a quarter of the way through. Yeah. Like the, it, the, it, I it, bought it. it. You're yeah. the, that was did, like a year ago. Did you change right? the name of – what's the – it's, it's isn't, it, isn't it Tale of Anwas or what is it? Anwas, son of Adam, or something. Anwas, like son of, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Is it called Bidden? Uh, did you change it? No, Bidden Fruit is the stories of everybody else. Okay, but Anwas, son of Adam, is the one that you have published. Yeah, it's just this very small little book. It's very dense. Everything is yeah. metered out, and it it refuses the attention of anybody except for somebody who's totally dedicated to paying attention. And that, that's the thing about Anwas. Anwas doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't, you're not worthy of, nobody's worthy of him. Right. So why so would I be worthy of question, writing him? Is he a good guy or a bad guy? What is the good? Oh, let's just like, you know, we're just going to we're just going to like end off this this last hour or so with a really like easy little letdown. Yeah, what let's, is let's the land good? this plane. What is the good? Yeah. What, what is, is the, good? the good? Well, if we look at Tolkien and the way he begins the Silmarillion, Iluvatar has his song. Everyone sings in harmony. Melkor comes along and sings his own song, mm. causing disharmony. Mm. But then that gets reharmonized and moved back in. That angers mm. him, and then he leaves. So, I mean, give or take a few, you know, yeah. brilliant words. Yeah. But that's that is what I have been steeped in literature wise when you mm -hmm. try to go your own way which you described in your own we're gonna we're gonna call it testimony in mm -hmm. your own journey maybe 
yeah. about which direction this way lies despair and I think it has collateral effects it affects his bride it affects his sons and his sons what one's a good guy one's a lost man and one guy is definitely evil when you get to that yeah then this guy's evil for sure because he has no father he has no he's he's missing something that Anwas had Anwas just left and took that thing with him um, that that guiding principle uh, and so you have Awas. I'm talking my own mythology. This is so coded language. But yeah, there is a place for the evil character there, but it's not at the start. Anwas does his own thing. And then and, Yes, but and doing then, doing your own thing is archetypally apart from that's that's the, that's string, that's what, what you're literally saying with regards to Peugeot. If we're cause he's working in the frame. Mm-hmm. And so what you're doing is well, maybe going your own way isn't inherently paradise lost evil mm, mm-hmm. style, right? Well, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and and it's also a tale of, of Western theocracy or Western philosophy, you know, the, the individual, the monad, you know, which has benefits and detriments. Right. It's not inherently evil. You're right, evil. that is. I, I don't think of it, I don't think of that character as, he, he exists beyond good and evil. He, he exists in the in the world of the world builders. So he includes evil and good inside of himself. He encapsulates them inside of his own world. Now, whether or not his world is witnessed and can it be real without it being witnessed, that's the other question. If you go your own way, do you exist without a witness? Mm. And can you survive without that witness? Can you, are, is your will so great that it can reify itself? Or does it not long for somebody inside of itself to rebel from it and restart that again? Does it not seek out other people to merge with it and, and be, uh, uh, you know, and, and reflect it back upon itself? Again, just really light questions to end this but, off, but Benjamin. But that's different than going out and, and destroying people or perverting other people. Uh, and perverting the land, uh, which is what I would think of as evil. Evil is some mm-hmm. sort of twisted form of vengeance upon the good. Uh, mm-hmm. Evil is, is, is immense amount of power that's acting amorally uh, that doesn't care that it lays waste and, and starts fiddling around with certain balances and stuff. And, and my conception of that primary masculine, uh, Western, uh, creative impulse is that it can persist above and that we need that and that we lose uh, we lose something when we think of that as evil we lose Mm. something when we think of that as morally bad it's just it's a part of us it's a part of us to what degree we can actually follow that out in our own lives really relies on our own strength and i think it's wise for most of us not to go too far down that path Mm. because ultimately you do rely on other people. You do rely mm. on, on some sort of uh, humble relationship with your beginning, your origin, and your end. I think that for most of us, that's the path. I think every once in a while, there's somebody who can exist outside of that that doesn't become corrupted by that path. And I'm, I'm, I, I know I'm not mm. speaking directly to uh, our uh, current moment. I'm speaking kind of mythologically there. Mm, kind of, yeah. Well. Well, what, what is it about the end that draws you in more than the beginning? You you almost said that you 
wanted to do the end, but you mean you've got to have the beginning without, before you have the end. So what is it about the apocalyptic mm. end that is a draw for you to, well, to end this? We'll yeah, to end. end this discussion. Before the beginning and after the end and at the beginning, because there is an end, there can be beginning. I, I had a couple dreams of the apocalypse uh, a long time uh-huh. ago. Um, and there was two dreams, but I think all I can remember was one. I had, a, I had a series of dreams about the end of the world, but the one that I remember was that the world was ending. Um, the t- time was ending and the saints in heaven were coming down uh, to, to wake people up uh, so that they can find their way out of chaos and, and uh, return to their true state as human beings. And I was part of this kind of emergency crew uh, that was kind of ferreting the message of the saints to other people and saying, look, look up into the sky, look up into the sky um, and remember who you are. And there was a city and the saints were actually, I remember this image of all these people carved out of ivory shining and they were all descending down and kind of, you know, gifting us something. And I was going around and it was like really chaotic because the world's ending. Like it was like the, everything was like falling apart, you know, and, and I got to this place and I'm in the, I'm in, I'm in some inner city. And then somebody says, is this little girl, I think said, uh, okay, you can't leave until you learn this. You're not allowed to leave until you learn this. And I, she opened a door and there was this room and it was all rap. It was just rap music. I'm like, are you serious? Like, I have to learn rap music before I can graduate. And it's a little girl who's telling you this? I think it was the little girl who told me that. I'm not sure, though. It was a while ago. But I remember, like, there was this inner voice that said, you can't leave. You cannot leave this fallen world. Your journey is not over until you learn to rap. And and I was really upset because I wasn't into rap music, you know, and I didn't know what I was telling myself or what was being told to me, but it was ultimately about communication. I had to learn language. I really had to study the ways in which language is put together and broken apart and played around with before I could go on to the next state with my own life. So mm-hmm. that was the parameters of why I was in this world. Like that is what I was there to learn. And the, the, the funny part, the comedic part was just how disappointed I was that it wasn't this grand mission, right? It was just like, I just had to study how to learn this incredibly linguistic uh, musical form. That was mm-hmm. my condition. So and that didn't answer your question. But I had a sense well, of the ending. And you want an ending that's just like, oh, my God, you know, and like the mountains are shifting and the world, the, the, the moon is breaking apart and falling down. Like that feeling, is, that feeling is so magnificent, so terrible. And I want that feeling in there. And I want that orgasmic, uh, that, that, that orgasm of the beginning. In the beginning is such a wonderful release of energy. And then you have to work out all that murky, complex stuff between the end and the beginning in order for it to, to draw up into that feeling, you know, so the, mm. the middle is where I have the most problems and where I fail the most. And, and oh, well, most that's of sort of life. the dream is like, you have to, you have to do this ma- language mastery yeah, yeah. Yeah, before you, have to you do can the work. get to like the cool ivory yeah. folk coming down and yeah, 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 whatever yeah, it is they're going to yeah, do. Yeah. You have to do okay. that. You have to do the mundane work. Yeah. Well, that's sort of very relatable. Not sort of, that's extremely relatable hmm. to all of us. So, Maybe that's what you're there for. Okay. That's what. That's why you had me here. 
for that. Yeah. Thank you for allowing me to uh, babble about my issues with uh, Infinity and beyond. Well, Buzz Lightyear. <laughs> I no, I I have been battling with my own understanding of Infinity and beyond. So I very much appreciate um, you explaining your perspective and. And I'm looking forward to you exploring this slowly on your channel. We'll see. I'll be, I'll we'll be see. expecting it. I'll be, okay. uh, it's part of the apocrypha. So thank you for having me on so I can uh, dish on the hidden life of Benjamin Boyce, YouTube sensation. <laughs> okay. We're ending it here. It's, it's, okay. That's it. That's thank you. Here. Yeah, for sure. Stop. Stop. Oh, gosh. YouTube sensation. What are you called? I'm, I'm just Andrea with the bangs. Okay. Yeah. See? This little, this little, little bit right here. That's yeah. kind of... A little twist. So I'm knitting now. Nice. Do you so, spill tea on it? I didn't. I had it on the floor, actually. I just I only spilled on my skirt. So it's fine. So I, I stopped. I know you're still recording. You have how much more time? One moment. <laughs>